I think when Meredith and I had been in the in the industry long enough to kind of to see how we were putting ourselves together, how editors were putting themselves together, what we gravitated towards, what we kept going back to, and it was this love of stripes. And in a way, it was something that we didn't feel like there was a brand that completely owned, not in the way that Burberry owned, it, owned that plaid or, or even, I mean, it, it is stripes, but Adidas with the three stripes, there was just a way that we felt that we could push stripes in general forward and keep it fresh, but classic and interesting. And it's democratic and it's, um, it's just something that, you again, we knew from our own purchasing and buying habits that it's something we continuously bought. So, you know, there was, I think, a lot of people asking, well, what happens when stripes are out of fashion? And that's the thing, that they never go out of fashion. So it was certainly a safe bet for us. But I think what, to your point about starting another fashion label, which nobody, the world does not need, it was an idea that we couldn't abandon and we couldn't not do. And that in itself is if you can't stop thinking about it, there's something in that and there was something that I we weren't going to be satisfied unless we saw it through so it was just this urgent need to feel like we could maybe start a company together welcome to the last podcast where innovation meets inspiration right at the crossroads of entrepreneurship creativity and leadership I'm your host Estefania Lacayo and together with Samantha Thoms, we embarked on an incredible journey when we launched Laughs, the first global platform dedicated to showcasing the vibrant world of Latin American fashion, beauty, and design. Each episode, we invite entrepreneurs, changemakers, CEOs, creatives, and all those who are inspiring the world with the amazing work they're doing. Whether it's revolutionizing an industry, crafting the next big trend, or leading the charge for social change, our guests share their journeys, insights, and the passion behind their projects. Join us as we explore the stories of those who dare to dream big and make a significant impact. Welcome to a space of learning, inspiration, and empowerment. Welcome to the last podcast. Valerie, welcome to the last podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's been a really long time since I haven't catched up with you. I know. It's I mean, we've both left New York, I've just realized, um, since uh since I've seen you last. So we're we're both in new chapters of our lives. But Zoom and uh and uh, technology still bring us together, which I love. It's amazing. So you're in London, I'm in Kiwi Skane. You have two kids, correct? I have three. I just had another one. <laughs> God, you have three kids and a fourth kid, which is your job, your company. Yeah. It is. It is. That has always been the, um, uh, I, you know, I was starting the business when I was pregnant with my first. So in a weird way, it's been the original. I've, I've given birth to this company first and then came it. And probably the hardest one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I to be honest, in both cases, don't necessarily know what you're doing, but uh, there's um, there's a bit more of a roadmap, I think, with... Um, or, or at least you feel like you've you've jumped into the fire with um, with starting a business from from scratch. That is uh, that is really that tests pretty much every aspect of your personality and in, yeah, in ways actually like kids do too. But you know, but they're yours, right? Like you know, it's part of you. They come out of your body. Like you know, there's yeah. like 
yeah, you're confronting yourself really and raising them. And, and the business is really, honestly, at the end of the day, you have to remember the business is business um, and it's not personal. And I think that's where it completely verges off from, you know, having your kids, which is obviously the most personal thing that you, you could do. But at the same time, running a business is insanely hard, especially at the beginning. Actually, no, the, the, when you scale, problems are even harder. Um, oh, yeah. It's... It's crazy. I mean, I always say it. You have to be kind of delusional to, to be an entrepreneur. Um, it's it's amazing. If you knew, if I knew, you know, what it took, if if you kind of condensed all the problems that we faced and all the challenges and everything it took to build this, I mean, do would I have the energy again? I don't know. It's it's definitely being confronted with the unknown. It's like, okay, let's get through this obstacle, this hurdle, um, and and foot forward baby step, literally baby steps um, to get to where we are now. So let's go back to the beginning. Every podcast, I actually start with how we met. And actually, I don't know how we met. I mean, I know we met in New York. Maybe, I don't know. Facebook. Your husband? I mean, no, I don't Salvadoran connection, no? I don't think it was through him, to be honest. Maybe, actually, maybe. But I... Or Carla, maybe. Carla Martinez. I I, I, I also struggle. You were working at Vogue, that's for sure. You were still, yeah. still at Vogue. And... And Meredith was still at Vogue, I think. So Meredith was at Vogue. That's how we met. And Carla and I were both Virginia Smith's assistant. Um, and we, we well, what do you we know about that? That was uh, two thousand and four. Yeah, two thousand and four, I think. And yeah. we were sitting side by side. So her friends became my friends. My friends became her friends, and we had that Latin American connection. So it was we became simpatica quite quickly. <laughs> so let's talk about the the Latin root. Yeah, so my mother is from El Salvador. Uh, my father was American. My father was actually ambassador to Guatemala. And my, my mother was living there at the time. So that is how they met. Um, I was born in Munich uh, because my father was then posted to um, Radio Free Europe then at the time. Um, and and really, I've lived in New York most of my life with making... My, my grandparents lived in El Salvador. So I'd be making... I'd go to... I'd go visit them about twice a year. My mother still goes, spends about six months a year there. Oh. I haven't taken the kids there. No, it's so, it's, oh, it's, it's on, it's been on, you know, uh, uh, Carmen Borgonovo, who's also a good friend who lives a, around the corner from me. Nice. Um, she makes it look so seamless taking the kids down there. And I, yeah. now with my mother sort of in New York and I, I've prioritized taking the kids back to New York because they um, have a little bit more of a history there. So, but it is part of the plan. My, we still have a home there um, and it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. So absolutely. I'm happy to hear that. So um, you grew up in New York. I did. Yeah. And you went to school in New York. Did you do, how did you start your career in fashion? Um, I, ah, Carmen Borgonovo, um, who's also from El Salvador. She was the accessories director at W, I believe at the time I had just graduated. I had spent some time in Europe um, and I was, I think, really running away from the responsibility um, and the unknown of basically coming back to New York and not having a job lined up and figuring out what I wanted to do. Because um, at that point, I really had no idea. I was studying marine biology at the University of Miami. I quickly realized I didn't want to do a doctorate in that or I'd go on to graduate school for that. I flirted with law school for a minute, realized that wasn't for me. So I really was in a, a kind of a quandary as to next steps. And Carmen, you know, she she reached out and said that uh, there was an internship open. I don't know, a freelance position open at Harper's Bazaar, which for some reason I didn't 
ever think I would like to be in a magazine. So I turned it down and asked to intern instead, thinking it was a little bit less of, you know, I I, I didn't want to uh, make her look bad uh, if I didn't like it. So I just wanted the sort of least uh, path of least resistance. Um, and I ended up loving, I ended up loving it. And so I ended up, and then uh, the freelance position was filled by the time I wanted <laughs> to work there. So um, I had to wait a little while before anything opened up but eventually something did. And I worked in the accessories department there. And then um, Vogue ended up calling a year later um, to, to because there was an opening as Virginia Smith's... Oh no, it was actually um, to be Meredith's assistant at the time. And that's so funny. I'm just now really going back um, and reliving this. Um, and by the time I went in for the interview... Uh, Lauren Davis at the time, uh, she had she was leaving, and so I took her position and was uh, desk mates basically with Carla. So that means you were covering what American market? Like uh, I was assisting, yeah, I I I was assisting with the American market, and I took Italian, and Carla was French, um, okay. and Meredith had London at the time. Yeah, and you, and you ended up staying in Vogue for how long? Almost ten years. Uh, so I ended up becoming an associate editor, then a market editor. And I had my own fringe markets like denim, tees, knitwear, lingerie. Um, and then and did some styling, a little bit of styling. So for the front of the, the book, um, these kind of profile articles of, of women, um, I did some styling there. And then I eventually became bookings editor and was responsible for casting uh, the models for the magazine, as well as the burgeoning online sector, so Vogue.com. And there was, you know, at the time, there was a huge family of Vogues, like uh, Vogue Living and Men's Vogue and Vogue Fashion Rocks. Um, I so, mean, there's a whole building with each floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you oversaw all of that. And then um, as well as oversaw a little bit of the, well, I had somebody helping me with the um, hair and makeup bookings. So there was a little production involved as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was an incredible vehicle for learning the ins and outs and how to in terms of creating a magazine from a three sixty perspective from uh, helping with the market and then styling a little bit and then casting um that was all. and then how a shoot gets done and made and even seeing which pictures, how the layout was formed and even the the needs from the photographer to the stylist to the um to Anna you know all the different wants and what people and you, you as a king's editor i think it's a lot of diplomacy because you do have to make everybody happy um while still getting to down to one product um so it was really a wonderful experience totally stressful because you're working in about uh multiple issues at once 10 shoots um, around 10 to 12, including the smaller uh, in the front of the book. So it was it was a lot. It was a lot, but I enjoyed it. You know what? But the, you know, by hearing you speak, it's rem- I'm reminiscing on all my first jobs. And I think it builds so much character to where we are today and to becoming an entrepreneur. I mean, it makes, you know, it's kind of sad how young, the younger generations don't have that. But we used to have it, you know, where you yeah. were, you know. Yeah, and also just, really having to deal with multiple personalities. I mean, that just made me a better person and employee being able to not only navigate, okay, this person, I know they're going to want this and this person is going to 
you know, want this thing? How do I navigate that? And and because one of them is probably not going to get what they want, but how do you make that as painless as possible? Um, I think I think that the office culture in that way, and in and being with people that aren't necessarily always. Um, straightforward is was you know that's life and it it certainly made me uh, a person who could anticipate problems and problem solve much better. Um, so that become yeah. also friends with Meredith, correct? Yes, um, she yeah, and you know what's funny is I do think you know I, I'll obviously say that's where Meredith and I met and that's where Meredith and I just we started two companies together. The first one was a consultancy. And then we we started the lean together. But I, you know, the amount of people that came up to me and said, "Oh, don't start a, a business with your friend," I have to say, Meredith and I, yes, of course, we're friends, but we're business partners first, and employees, and uh, sorry, employees, colleagues, really, um, first. We know how to work with each other. I know exactly how she operates. I know her strengths, her weaknesses. She knows mine, and we're able to complement each other really well because of that. Um, so there's no, you know, there's no mystery in terms of what her work ethic, work ethic is like uh, and and vice versa. Business partnerships could go either way. I mean, I've had both ways. And, yeah. and I have to say, when they work, they are just flaws. I've had my business partner for seven years now. And it's yeah. exactly the same reason why it works so perfect. Because what she's good at, I'm really bad at. And I have no yeah. intention of wanting to learn. And vice versa, you know, so we just complement each other really well. And I have to say, being an entrepreneur is so, so hard. It's like, it sounds so pretty and sexy on the outside, but the reality is like, you know, we have such bad days um, and we have to be so resilient, you know, and mm. it's so much easier when you have a partner to go through them, you know? Oh, and, and it's, I think it's what I've... Definitely that atmosphere or that camaraderie, particularly with women, I've tried to recreate in in Lalina or even at the consultancy that we that Lamarck, what which is the consultancy that we formed after um Vogue, just being able to bounce ideas off off someone and not operating in a vacuum and thinking that your idea is the only idea. I mean, one some of the best ideas often happen when you've come up with something that maybe isn't totally fleshed out yet and someone can come in and say, ah, yeah, what about doing that, but like this? And all of a sudden you have this really wonderful idea that you not wouldn't necessarily think about your own. And I don't love the ego of thinking you're the only one that knows best. I, I, I don't, I think, I don't think that's right. I think that you're constantly on the search for other people's opinions and perspectives and that what's, that's what makes anything better. And that also comes with wisdom and with age and maturity, right? That you just you actually don't want to know everything. You really want to surround yourself with smarter people. I mean, oh, I like- the best, yeah, the best part of Vogue was when things were going totally south and I was having, a, you know, things were fully falling apart <laughs> with one shoot or another. And me being able to be in an office with a ton of other people who have gone through the same thing and asked for their advice to say, what do you think I should do? Or, you know, you're not alone in it. Um, so just being able to, again, rely on that support network is is huge and and doing things on your own. Yeah. I mean, as great as it is, but wow, it's a, it's a whole other, I have a lot of respect for, for people that have gone on to do things completely on their own. It's, it's lonely up there. 
It is lonely, especially because being an entrepreneur is an extremely lonely life. I talk about this a lot because people, because it's good for people to hear them because, you know, when you're running a business, especially if you're running a business in the first four or five years, it's super lonely. You know, you're just hustling nonstop and people, especially now the younger generation, they see something on social media that's so not the reality of what mm-hmm. you're going through as an entrepreneur. So I, yes, I, I fully agree. It's much better if you're going through all of the challenges and the great things also with. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that was, you know, one of the, before I started working at Vogue, this idea that it was full of icy, you know, um, sort of non-unapproachable, unrelatable women was completely unfounded. It was what the, that that magazine was able to to pull together some of the most interesting, relatable, and also creative and ingenious uh, women and men. Um, there were the titans in their own industry, but they were always available for a chat or a conversation. They were always willing to hear what you had to say. There were meetings based off just giving everybody the opportunity to voice what they thought. I mean, that was um, really what I thought made folks such a special place is it really was a place where you could be heard and you could think of the craziest idea and they had um, the opportunity to, you know, to get it off the ground. And that was really magic. And that was that type of thinking outside the box is something that I think I've tried to bring um, to other endeavors that that I've done, and including including Laleen. I mean, sure it's probably fan. one of the biggest traits that you have to have as an entrepreneur: thinking outside the box. Oh uh, yeah, we have to think outside the box every single day, regardless if you raise capital or you don't raise capital. Mm. Uh, you have, you know, you're always trying to get creative on how to like scale or to solve a problem. So I think all those skill sets just help you as an entrepreneur. That's why I think one of the best things that I always tell people is like, when you graduate from college, I'm like, no, don't start a business right there. You need to go out there and work for other people. I mean, you make oh. sure the mistakes cost cost other people, don't cost you, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, I think, part of, before we even launched Lillian, Meredith and I really wanted to spend some time on the brand side and figure out how other brands do things. Because all, all the only place that we'd ever known was Vogue, which is a very specific way of working. Um, but there's a ton of other corporate cultures out there that you should just kind of definitely get to know the ins and outs there and what works, what doesn't work, what kind of company do you want to be and what kind of uh, office culture do you want? So, Laleen, what white space did you guys find when you guys were were running your branding company, you and Meredith, that you decided that you guys wanted to embark into launching a new brand, which you both knew that it was extremely challenging, that the world didn't need another brand. But what space were you guys finding that you made you guys go for it? Well... It's funny because when I first arrived at Vogue, there are a few Vogue alumna have gone on and started brands. And deep down, I, I said to myself, "This, you know, that's not my background. I'm, I'm not a designer. That's something I'll never do." And I think when Meredith and I had been in the in the industry long enough to kind of to see how we were putting ourselves together, how editors were putting themselves together, what we gravitated towards, what we kept going back to, and it was this love of stripes and in a way, it was something that we didn't feel like there was a brand that completely owned, not in the way that Burberry owned it, owned that plaid or or even, I mean, it, it is stripes, but Adidas with the three stripes, there was just a way that we felt that we could push stripes in general forward and keep it fresh, but classic and interesting. And it's democratic. And it's, um, it's just something that 
you again, we knew from our own purchasing and buying habits that it's something we continuously bought. So, you know, there was, I think, a lot of people asking, well, what happens when stripes are out of fashion? And that's the thing, that they never go out of fashion. So it was certainly a safe bet for us. But I think what, to your point about starting another fashion label, which nobody, the world does not need, it was an idea that we couldn't abandon and we couldn't not do. And that in itself is if you can't stop thinking about it, there's something in that. And there was something that I we weren't going to be satisfied unless we saw it through. So it was just this urgent need to feel like we could maybe start a company together, which I, when I'm saying it like that, I mean, I, I, it's, a, it's a gutsy thing because both of us are creative and we didn't have a CEO or, or a CFO or, or even a business plan to put together. I mean, it was all uphill from that moment of deciding that we wanted to do it. And we concepted out all the creative, I think, for a full year before actually doing anything with it. But that was the obsession for both of us was just all the ways that we could be interesting about um, the strike. You guys ended up putting together a business plan before launching. I, I love, this is something, it's a topic I talk a lot about at, at schools. Did you guys put together a business plan before launching? Well, enter Molly Howard. I mean, the first part, we, the thing we needed to do, I mean, we did, but it was a, a, what we really needed, we knew because we needed to have somebody who could take the reins there in terms of uh, building this business from the ground up. So enter Molly Howard, whom um, we had met socially, and I she had she was leaving Rag and Bone where she was head of business development. And we floated her this idea, sign, making her sign an NDA. This is how precious we were with our idea. Um, and said to her, Hopefully she, hint, hint, knew of anyone that could help us with this business idea. Um, and she was game. And she came back to the meeting with all of these thoughts, ideas. She did, I think, a, a, a P&L chart for us, um, a, not only a business plan, but also this whole schedule of how the uh, brand would, would progress. And it, she was just as obsessed and into the idea as we were. So we, we got lucky in the sense that our search didn't take very long. And it was somebody that had the same aesthetic as us, the same kind of work ethic as well. Um, it's because I think a lot of people are now like, so you're three women <laughs> starting this business. There's three co-founders, which is obviously a lot of opinions in the room, but we uh, each have our own part of the business that we run. And uh, we're, you know, we're, we're quick to support each other, but also give a lot of leeway to each other's expertise. Um, in it's there. amazing because she was coming from the wholesale world, which neither mm -hmm. of you guys have. So it was extremely important, you know? Yeah, and which, which is why also we launched as DTC because the wholesale model, and this also speaks to Meredith's background as um, fashion director at Vogue.com and senior market editor where she ran the... Um, CFV of Folk Fashion Fund and seeing these young designers and brands and how they were struggling when it came to their wholesale business because you're often dictated to in terms of what they want, what they don't want. And you can stray from your core aesthetic quite quickly or, or, or your sort of brand ethos. So it was important that we try and maintain all a direct channel uh, as much as possible with a certain amount of wholesale, of course. Um, so we we launched direct consumer was always part of the that was never something we pivoted from it was always part of the original launch and we had net net a porte very luckily net a porte as our uh, exclusive um, online 
wholesale partner. I remember buying a skirt when you guys launched. <laughs> a striped Because I love stripes. I mean, I love stripes and I fully agree with you. Like stripes, there's no such thing as stripes ever going out of style. I mean, I've... I know eight years on, here I am still obsessed and still inspired by them. So it's a testament to that. That was the little girl, my mom, making me wear Lacoste uh, stripes. <laughs> here I am still wearing them and now trying to convince my kids to wear them, even though my son only wants to wear a soccer shirt now. Um, but yeah, no, my, kids, my kids are in stripes. It's my husband that I'm trying to convince. He's uh, something about, maybe it's boarding school or something. He's off He's off the stripes for the moment. <laughs> it's okay. I've, I've gotten him into cashmere and uh, ribbing, cashmere rib sweaters, which we often, you know, it's not always hit, hit you over the head stripes. It's also the detailing in the garment. So got, um, I got him one way or another. <laughs> did you guys raise capital? Um, on your first round? Did you guys do a seed round to get it off the ground? Yeah, we did. Um, And, you know, raising money is a very humbling (laughs) and really difficult uh, process where I think we, I mean, it's really hard, especially when you're talking about this very, this, this idea that you hold close to your heart um, people say no, tell you no, um, even though it is often having to do with whatever financial decisions that they have to make. But it really builds character, by the way, because they yeah. they destroy your idea in seconds. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. And again, fashion, if you think about it, fashion, I think, especially in New York City, fashion and, and food, is there's a, a brand that fails every minute. So it it uh, it's it was a really yeah it was a very lo- uh well it was a difficult difficult process but I will say that the best the best thing that we learned from that is with all the no's you get better at handling rejection um but we were always able to ask that person you know well we'll you know keep in touch but is there anyone else that you think that we should speak to um and that i think was the best thing that we, we did because it would just lead you to one another person and that eventually um you get to you get to where you need to go and where you want to be so the best thing you can do when you're raising capital is actually go to the ones that you know they're going to say no so that you could perfect your pitch because you know they're going to destroy your pitch and yeah. then you get better and they'll lead to one meeting and that meeting will lead to another meeting. And then that 20th Absolutely. meeting will lead to someone that would be like, I think stripes are genius. Yes, exactly. Or yeah. And if they have a problem with something about the idea, yeah, you learn from that, you rework or figure out another way forward or another answer, or maybe it doesn't matter and you find somebody else to to pitch to. Yeah. I mean, I think by the end, our pitch was absolutely perfect and it was... um and and we knew the investors that we needed to go to. So it, it all, all ends well. That. <laughs> and it's really good you said, I, I always talk about this with entrepreneurs. It's super important. Like it's about smart money, like especially the beginning, because you really need to align yourself. Just like you, the three of you guys are aligned, you know, and that's why you guys have such a great partnership is the same goes for, you know, when you're going after raising capital, you know, people that are aligned with the ethos of the brand, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I think knowing knowing where the money, knowing what that investor wants to do with their money, and and how quickly or how, what they want you to to turn into, or how quickly they want 
the reinvestment to come back. You know, that 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 is something to consider wholly when you're um, are asking or accepting any any funds. Um, we've been really lucky that we have some really strategic investors, um, but we haven't really been subjected to anyone's demands, so to speak. So we're we're we have a really lovely group of people aligned with the brand that are are really happy with the way that we've been growing. How how do you guys divide uh, the roles between the three? Well, as you know, I am not CEO. <laughs> that falls to Molly Howard. She is our CEO. Meredith is CBO, so the chief branding officer, and she does all of our marketing and social media. And at this point, you know, digital advertising. And um, and I am the chief creative officer, so I handle all things design, um, concept, and uh, I do a lot of the styling for the uh, editorials that we do, which is obviously takes from um, my Vogue experience. And the three of you um, live on, so you, you're living in London. Meredith mm-hmm. lives still in the East Coast? Yeah, she lives in, both Molly and Meredith are uh, in New York. That's great. And so, and tell me now about, you started as, I know you started as direct consumer and with a collaboration that you just told us with Meta Porte. Um, mm-hmm. Still the business now, a big component is still direct consumer, like your main focus, or you would have seen yeah. Um, no, it's absolutely direct consumer. Um, we are focused on opening more, more and new stores. We have five at the moment, uh, New York City, Palm Beach, Dallas, Greenwich, and Marin County in California. Um, and that has been such a wonderful, uh, you know, scary part. It's less scary now, but when we opened our first store in Madison in 2019, it was obviously terrifying. It was our first store. We didn't know if it would work. <laughs> um, we, we had, had done a lot of trunk shows before that, <coughs> which is where we take the um, the brand on the road. Well, our friends would host us in their homes and we'd meet their friends and get to talk about the product um, in, you know, in a firsthand experience, basically like we were in a store. And it was always really successful. We love the people we meet. We got direct feedback. And so we felt confident that, you know, New York being our home home our home that we could that was our first market to open and you guys had the best location on madison mm-hmm. i mean it's still the same location for- yep the little jewel box on madison avenue between 77th 78th streets it's our smallest store but um it's, it's also one of our mightiest in new york like that, that, that corner area yeah it's right next to santa bros uh the mark the carlisle it's it's great it's a it's such a wonderful location it is a wonderful. You guys got really lucky with that location. Like it's mm. a. I don't think I don't believe in luck. I think you attract those things and you manifest. Mm. Um, it's really amazing everything that you've built. Um, what do you think has been? I mean, I know as an entrepreneur, there's so many challenges. But you know, like this podcast, like mostly is entrepreneurs are listening to us, regardless if they're starting or they're, you know, in a late later stage in their business. What do you think has been one of those like? learning curves that you would love to like tell someone so that they don't do that mistake? Mm. I think, and this is still something we're working on, <laughs> but trying to be all things to all people, mm. it just doesn't work and it dilutes your message. Um, and this is, you know, we're, Part of our company ethos is is, is you know, stripes for for 
for everybody and stripes for all walks of life and stripes that you can eat, sleep, drink, dance in, you know, it, or obviously and go to work in. And, um, and what I also, what Meredith and I and Molly, what we concepted for the brand was these kind of these luxury essentials, things that you go back to in your closet time and time again, um, that you don't get sick of that are going to stand the test of time um, and are not trend driven. And I think that that's a little bit more difficult when you're when you're concepting a, a 360 lifestyle brand because we're talking about consumption and we need people to come back and you need newness and urgency. And of course, there are things happening out in fashion that you have to pay attention to. So um, I think when you when you do, though, start focusing on something that's really hot or really trending or really selling out and chasing it too hard, you can start swinging a little bit too far one way and you kind of forget where you, you forget your message, you forget where you're coming from and you end up losing that consumer or chasing a consumer that's really only there for a, a one product versus the people that you really, a community that you want to build off of. And that comes with several different products or just a mindset or a, or quality or comfort or designing for that woman's life. Um, so making sure to, as you, we deliver a collection, really thinking about who the woman is and seeing, oh, okay, we hit we hit these, you've got to give her a little bit of fantasy, right? But you also just got to give her the the core product and what she's going to, um, maybe she'll get go into the store because you've got a fabulous sequin dress, but at the end of the day, she might just want to get that great cashmere black turtleneck that she's been missing or no one's to replace. So, um, you know, it, it's, it is about a well-rounded collection, but not straying too far from who your customer is when the market would want to tell you otherwise. That's an excellent advice, by the way. It's an excellent advice because for you guys listening, you adapt this to whatever your business is, regardless if it's a brand or not. I mean, I think when you're running a business, you're also constantly talking to entrepreneurs because you're, you know, you're out there and everybody has an opinion, even when you're not asking for it. And it's like, well, why don't you do this? And you can also get distracted when it's such a successful person telling you this, right? So you're like, oh, maybe this person is right. Maybe we should do start doing this, you know? But I yeah. think it's a really, really good advice. And ultimately, you also have to think, the, the thing is, it's a constant check-in because you do have to push the brand forward and you do have to think of the next thing and you shouldn't look too far behind. So it's this balance of being able to, yeah, to to being able to offer the, the customer what it is that they want and anticipate their needs. But stay true to who you are. Tough. It's tough. <laughs> what is... um. What's the one item for someone that hasn't shopped your collection, the first item they should have from you? That's uh, our classic. It's our um, Marin sweater. It's a uh, a contrast striped, uh, with the, our bestseller is the cream and navy oversized sort of a boyfriend sweater. It's very thick. It's chunky. It's delicious. You throw it over anything. Um, it's it's something I, I truly, I, I truly have about. 10 stacked up that I go to from the pop colors it's to the closet. It's called a Marin sweater. Marin sweater. And we now just started offering it in solid colors. So for all that quiet luxury out there <laughs> that maybe can't stand a graphic, it's it's uh, it's a great one. It goes, it goes, it goes with everything. 
And you guys started Kids, which I love. I didn't know when I was working on this podcast. I noticed that you guys are doing Kids and I'm like obsessed. Now I'm going to shop PJs and sweaters for my kids. It's so, and so much fun designing those because you can really have fun with the colors and um, you know, we we work with fabrics that are, are machine washable. We're all three moms. Uh, all three of the co-founders are moms. So we know how busy and non-precious. And that's sort of the same way we are about the main collection is, you know, we're having fun. And this is, these are clothes to have fun in and they shouldn't be too precious. The, 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 we really strive hard to use, um, uh, quality fabrics in terms of uh, the content and they're easy to care for. This is not meant to be anything tricky um, or itchy or or feeling like you're wearing the clothing. The, the woman should be wearing the clothing, not the other way around. I agree. And there's nothing, especially when you're a mom. I mean, I, well, A, I, I love your clothes, period, at any stages of my life. But at where I am right now, I mean, that's all I want to wear, comfortable but you want to wear, but you also want to be put together, right? So there's yeah, nothing. just something a little thoughtful that brings out the best in you. Something where you feel really confident and powerful in, whether it's a great pair of trousers or a beautiful dress. Um, you know, I I I tend to feel my best when I'm in I'm in I, I'm more of a separate stressor. I love a trow tailored trouser and a great jacket or a, and a, a, an oversized cashmere sweater is my jam. What's next for the brand? Is there anything that um, you can tell our audience that? happening this year? Um, well, we have another store opening uh, that's coming soon to um, to Boston. Amazing. So we're excited about that. Yeah. Um, we've it launched Denim. Sorry, it, uh, in a few weeks. Um, so stay tuned. Newberry, where, in what area is it? On uh, Newberry Street. Amazing. I went to school in Boston. Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember. Life in Boston. I love Boston so much. And it's it's breezy there, so no shortage of we'll have we'll have you covered. Um, all beans. Fill it in Boston. I have no doubt of that. Um, we will have another collaboration that I can't say just yet, but that that will be coming. We've had some fabulous collaborations in the past, and we have a great one coming up. You guys are big um, on that, which I love because it speaks a lot about community. Which we're at laughs. We're all about community, and I love that you guys do that. You're always doing collaborations, which speaks. Yeah. So it's been it's since I think since inception we did you know Claire Depot quite early on, um, Jennifer Fisher in 2017 and Malin and Getz, Ref Reformation. Um, obviously Target was 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 a, an incredible one, um, and uh, Our Lady of Rocco with Mario Carbone. That was that's a really fun and kind of uh, sort of total departure from our our main line because that's men's. Um, and even to a, a collaboration with um, Don't Let Disco, we have her beads um, on our on our dress on some of our dresses, which was was really that fun. I, you guys doing something adorable for like a for like an airline, like a cool collaboration for like an airline company. Like oh, a, I know. How would that? I mean, I would love seeing them. So I know. I really feel like we could do something there. <laughs> or even the restaurant restaurant community. No, restaurant for sure. Like when you go to like Chiringuitos in Europe, they should all be wearing like stripes. <laughs> I know. Um, oh, and Rochelle, who's a good friend of the brand. We've done something with Lingua Franca. Um, so yeah, we. I mean, it's been the most natural ones are obviously the ones where we can do with people we know and, and, and people we're friends with, like-minded uh, brands. So those have been, those have been, the really fun ones and more to come. 
I finish every podcast with the same question, which is about finding your, what is your why? And it could be your why as U.S. Valerie and Valerie with Aline, like, what is your why? What's your purpose? I mean, if, if for me, I think it's this joy I get from getting dressed, uh, that that simple act that, you know, everyone does every day and uh, the what I get out of that and what it has given me. Uh, I obviously chose a career in fashion, starting with magazines dedicated to portraying different ideas of dressing from fantasy editorials to portraits to life, you know, real lifestyle, real lifestyle stories and profiling women to consultancy, you know, starting a consultancy with Meredith and, uh, and seeing how you could build businesses based on fashion and, and where we wanted to sit within that landscape to being so obsessed with this unique corner of fashion and stripes and how we can contribute to that conversation. And what, what I it always come back comes back to when I open my closet and I'm getting dressed for the day. What am I going to wear? Who is the person I'm going to be? How are, are my clothes contributing to that? And the joy I get out of that, and just being able to impart or to deliver a little bit of that to the customer is my why. That's beautiful why, and I think you girls are doing an amazing job. Um, I know you guys know it, but I think. As an entrepreneur, sometimes we forget because we're so hard on ourselves. So huge congrats because, you know, you guys have built something so beautiful that I have no doubt it's just going to continue growing and growing. And it's an inspiration to many other women entrepreneurs that are, are hustling out there. So huge congrats, especially the three of you are moms. So doubles to you because, you know. Yeah, you. The well, they say if you want to get anything done, give it to a mom. <laughs> She'll get it done. So mom for sure. Well, thanks so much. much. It was really great to catch up again, too. We hope that you have enjoyed this conversation. You can email us your suggestions on who you would like to hear in our next episode. If you like this chapter, don't forget to leave a comment or rank this podcast. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Latin American Fashion Summit and on Tribu by Laughs, a new platform that will revolutionize the way in which the fashion industry connects. Thanks for tuning in onto the Labs Podcast.